Welcome to the Appalachian Timber Ghost Outdoor Adventures Podcast. We're going to talk hunting, fishing, and everything outdoors. So pull up a seat and enjoy our campfire stories. Thanks for joining us. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me. It's much appreciated. If you like birds of prey, you're going to love this episode. I've always been personally fascinated by birds of prey. Two Two places I did security work at, uh, one was on the Hudson River, and another at Gilboa Dam, uh, that's up in the Catskill Mountains. Both places were full of bald eagles, so mind you, you spend anywhere from 8 to 16 hours in a booth, you get to see some pretty cool stuff, and hear cool stories of other people that worked on the sites. Um, what I could share with uh, with you is one of the guys we uh, they were doing a construction project, and basically they the bald eagle came down and took a heavy duty set of jumper cables <laughs> and brought them up to use it in the nest. <laughs> and he said, if you took a pair of binoculars, you could see the the jumper cables woven into the uh, into the nest, you know, and they said it was a big enough nest where you could probably put a Volkswagen in it, which doesn't shock me, but, uh, so, I'd become Facebook friends with this falconer. I met her through New York Hunt Club, uh, because she was posting all these pictures of her hunts, and becoming friends with her, uh, I would get to see a lot of the videos from her squirrel hunts. And it was just always fascinating to me. So I, when I started this podcast, I was like, this would be such a cool thing to talk about. I would love to see it in person as well. So today we have Alicia Pickett-Hale. Hey, Alicia. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. So uh, originally you're from New Hampshire? Yes. So what brought you to the great state of New York? I started in... To Albert University okay. in upstate New York, and never left. Oh, nice! All right. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do for a living. I am actually a I do falconry-based bird maintenance. I work on landfills and other um, sites like that to get rid of seagulls and other pest birds using falcons. No kidding. Yep. That's pretty cool. I didn't even know they did that. <laughs> it's a very, very small job sector. Wow. Okay. So how did you get into falconry? Um, I've always been in, interested in animals. I've worked with um, horses and dogs a lot, all through like middle school, high school. And in college, I got a biology degree. And... Um, I just, through jobs and through different things, I met someone who was a falconer and really fell in love with falconry and the idea of it, because get to take a wild bird and train it and hunt with it. Yeah, right. So how, really, long, how long have you been doing it? Um, I've go, do, been doing it about, I think this is, was my eighth or ninth year. Okay, wow. So, yeah. so like when, when you got this, this job, I mean, did I, did I like 
put this like in the newspaper, like in a one ad. <laughs> it was actually kind of a word of mouth thing. Um, cause there's so few people that do falconry that it's required. To, part of the job is to have a falconry license. So I was friends with somebody who knew my now boss and I heard he was looking for somebody and I had a fairly flexible job before this. And so I was able to start on part-time and do my other job as well. And then it, when I position opened up full-time, I jumped at it. Wow, that's really cool. So now you're located at one place all the time, or you travel with the job? I'm mainly located at one spot. Um, if new contracts open up, I often go in and start the co- other contracts. Okay. But cool. I mainly work up at, uh, at a landfill in, near Rochester. Nice, nice. So, uh, are you an apprentice, a general, or a master falconer? I am a currently I'm a general falconer, but I'm actually working to get my upgrade to mass to the master falconer. Cool. Can level. you can you explain the difference between all yeah. of them? So, an apprentice falconer is what you're the first cut two two or so years of your, having your license. And in that time frame, you're you're limited to what birds you can get, and you're also under the mentorship of some of a sponsor who is a falconer who has been a falconer for at least five years. Okay. Um, and so the, at your first two years, you're required to be an apprentice. And then after that, it's up to the sponsor whether or not they feel you're ready to do it on your own, in a sense, and be upgraded to general. In a general falconer, you have a, you have a much wider range of birds you're allowed to fly. And then after five years of being a general, you can apply to become a master falconer, which has even more options and numbers of birds you can fly. Nice. Um, so, like, where would you – now, when you get into this, where do you get the, the birds from? So your first birds as an apprentice, you're actually required to trap from the wild. Oh, wow. Um, Apprentice birds are the American kestrel and the red-tailed hawk. Okay. Both of birds are fairly plentiful throughout New York. Um, very Different states are going to have different requirements, but for New York, it's just those two birds. Um, they're both fairly easy birds to train, and they're very forgiving of mistakes for the most part. Okay. Um, and then once you become a general, you are allowed to trap other species including like cooper's hawks goshawks you're also allowed to take to buy captive bred birds so like different types of falcons different you can have cat a lot of different there's lots of different captive breed options okay um so yeah now is, are those the most commonly used in falconry the most in New York, um, the red-tailed hawk is probably the most common bird you'll find as a falconry bird. Okay. Because they're super versatile. They can take rabbits, squirrels. They'll go after ducks. They'll go after pheasants. Um, they're very. You can drive down almost any road and find a red-tailed hawk. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, you do have to trap them as a juvenile, so they have a brown tail in their first year. So we're only we're limited to trapping those birds. Okay, now do what do you have to go up and get them in the nest? <laughs> no, do you get that? You, the trapping season starts September first, so you're actually looking for birds that are already hunting and tra- surviving on their own. Okay. 
So you drive around for the trapping that I like to do. You can drive. You drive around with a spe- specific ty- style of trap that catches the birds because they see that there's like a bait animal in it, and they go down and try and grab it, and they get their feet caught. Okay. So they're not actually getting hurt when they grab the trap. Okay. Cool. Uh, and then you you go over, take it off the trap, decide if it's a good bird for falcon or like if it's a really skinny bird it might need to go to rehab or if it's a nice healthy big bird that's one you'll take home and trap or hunt hunt with and hopefully train hunt and release do any of them come from like a rehab you know like could you go to occasionally um we're i know a lot of falconers in the area are trying to start to work more with rehabbers because it's a really good option for rehab birds to make sure they do have the skills to survive right right um but a lot of times it's not, they're not usually the best birds for like a beginner, but they can be really good. It can be a really good resource. Nice. So what species have you flown? I have flown red, numerous red-tailed hawks, a number of kestrels. Um, and this past season I tried my first goshawk. Cool. Nice. So I, I think I read somewhere, I don't know if, if you can now or they were looking into using golden eagles and uh, was it peregrines? Yeah. So in New York, um, we're actually currently we're not allowed to use wild caught of either species okay. because they're currently on our endangered species list. We are allowed to fly a peregrine if it has been bred in captivity since I think it's, I can't remember the date from when they were supposed to, they have to been like, you have to be able to trace the lineage back. Okay. Um, because they do have the peregrine on the endangered species list currently. Right, right. So we are trying to the the falconry group, the Falconer New York's Falconry Association. We have been trying to work with DEC to either rewrite rewrites some of the regulations or work towards getting the peregrine delisted. Okay. Yeah, because I know with the Endangered Species Act, you have to get them to a certain point. But I know like. With, you know, with the wolf situation, not to go off, you know, what we're talking about, but, you know, like they've exceeded the numbers, but people, you know, they still just, they don't want to see the wolves hunted. So even though in certain areas of the country, like there's more than enough and they've met the quota for the Endangered Species Act. So the the peregrines are pretty much there now. Yeah, we have, the New York actually has the largest number of breeding peregrines on the East Coast. Oh, wow. So we actually like per st- for the st- for each state. Yep. So there's it's just the the DEC doesn't want to just delist one animal, so they have to have a whole list of animals that they're either going to put on the list, take off the list, move around. And so we've just been waiting for that to come up, and it was supposed to happen last year, but COVID happened. <laughs> <laughs> Good old COVID. <laughs> yeah, you know, COVID co- put a lot of things on hold. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Thank God we do have the outdoors. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, the golden eagle now—that's actually an American bird. Because don't they have them like out like Mongolia and? Yep, they're okay. they're one of the along with peregrines and um, jeer falcons are the some of the only birds of prey that are found year, worldwide. Like, so you can find them in almost in a wide range of countries so they're in europe they're in asia they're in u.s they're more common out west 
Okay. Uh, which is where their preferred prey is. They they really pre- they choose a lot. Of, they hunt a lot of jackrabbits. Oh, nice. So we don't really have the terrain to properly hunt a golden eagle. Is it too like, too much like uh, cover? Too much cover. They they really excel in open prairie kind of situations. Right. Um, we just don't have enough open land for an eagle to really be successful. Yeah, because I had watched, um, I think it was in Mongolia, uh, they hunt deer with the golden eagle. Yeah, um, in Mongolia, it's actually the most common thing they hunt is red fox. Okay. Um, I have a friend who's a falconer. She was actually pretty well known in, outside of falconry because she was on 60 Minutes for her work in Mongolia. And she got to go out there and train an eagle and hunted red fox with the golden eagle. Wow. Yeah, she has, she has golden eagles out west that she hunts jackrabbit hunts jackrabbits with. Wow, yeah, like I don't know if you've seen that video where I don't even know if it's real or not. Uh, with, it looked like a golden eagle taking a child. It was like at a park or something. It's mostly a lot. I'm not sure how true <laughs> all of those are. Gotta get the um, fact checkers on bird, that one. <laughs> birds of prey are not usually they're ninety nine percent of them are afraid of humans. Right. And they don't want anything to do with humans. They don't, they have very few birds pursue cats and dogs. Like that's, a red tail can't even pick up a squirrel and carry it, a full size squirrel. So they can't pick up the pet, the pet dog or pet cat and take it out of of a yard. Yeah. Um, like, Like I said, I'm just seeing all your pictures and your videos. Like I'm fascinated by it, but, um, (laughs) I do security work, uh, well, I used to on the side, and I worked down by the river a lot, and there was a lot of eagles there. But then I worked up in uh, Schoharie County at Gilboa Dam, and I was sitting in the booth. I literally have video footage from my phone on it, and uh, all the cat. There was a bunch of feral cats, and mm-hmm. they, were, they were acting weird. And all of a sudden, I look over my shoulder, and there's a big uh, bald eagle, and it's like hopping up and down. And all of a sudden, it took off, and it had a cat. And I was like, oh, my God. And it flew into the trees, and I was just, like, I was baffled by it. It was probably very hungry. There's probably <laughs> some other other circumstance causing it to be really desperate for food. Yeah. Because so, they usually are not. Most, most birds of prey, from what I've seen, are not really keen on taking on predators, other predators. Because okay. they know they fight back. Yeah, right, because they got pretty nasty claws, cats, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you keep the birds at your house? I do. Um, I have the state requires the birds to have like for any falconer has to have a, a approved muse. Yes, <laughs> which is there where we keep the birds. Um, and it has a specific size. It has to be. They have to be eight by eight by eight. Eight feet all around, and there has to be a weathering yard so they can sit out, be outside as well. And so I have my, I have a muse right on my, on my property. Nice, yeah, because I, I just learned that word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's funny because there's a lot of equipment that goes along with that as well. Yes. So you want to um, tell us about certain things that you need if you wanted to get into that? Some of the big, the big things are like your. Um, there's a, the tethering system, which is an an- your anklets, which goes around the legs of the birds. Okay. Because they're that's the strongest point of their like their body for any point of securing. Like they're not like a dog; you can't put a, le- a collar on the neck. They'll it, 
they're not built for that to withstand that, but their legs are fairly strong. Okay. So they have anklets, and then attached to the anklets, we put jesses, which are the straps that we hold the birds with. And then attached to the jesses, there's a leash with a swivel so that it doesn't get tangled up. Okay. And that's what we tie the birds to, like, perches with, is this leash. Um, we also use bells to keep so that when the bird's flying through the woods, you can keep track of where they are. Oh, wow. So it's instead of, cause it, especially in the fall when there's still a lot of leaves in the trees, you just put it look up and your bird's completely disappeared. Right. But if they move at all, you'll hear the bells jingling. <clears throat> um, and then we've more recently, telemetry has really become popular where we can actually use radio tracking to keep track of our birds and even GPS telemetry now. Okay. Um, and then we also have what's co called a hood. Um, not all birds, are, not all falconers use hoods and not all birds are trained to hoods. But they're a really good tool because they cover the eyes. That's what a lot of, a lot of older pictures, we see a, the bird with this, like, cap on its head. Right, right. And bird, this is because birds of prey are very visual-oriented. So the more, they, the more they react to stuff is usually visual. So you take that vision away, and it, they become much calmer. Even the, like, sounds are not as scary. Right. So it's a way to keep them calm without, like, completely, like, we also will use what's called a giant hood or a travel box, and there's, a, so it's an entirely dark box that they go in. That's what, if you, if you have a bird that's not hood trained, you have that for transport. Okay. So what makes the birds come back to you? <laughs> Positive reinforcement during training and food. Okay. <laughs> so... The falconry, for falconry, our birds are only flown when they're hungry. So, because they—that's—that's that's the only reason they come to us—is because they know that we have food. Okay. So, if a bird is really fat, it's not—it's going to go up in the tree and go, "Well, I, I'm not hungry. I don't—I don't need to follow you. I don't need to come back. I don't really even want care about that squirrel that's running under me." Right. Right. So that defeats, like, the whole point for falconry is to take and pursue game. Right. So you want the bird to be hungry enough to want to pursue the game, but not so hungry that they're desperate or they're unable to actually, act, like, successfully do a chase on, say, a squirrel, which a chase on a squirrel could last up to half an hour. Oh, really? Yeah. So you have to get, you have to find that fine line between too hungry and not hungry. Right. And you want them to be as high in weight as you can without them deciding they're no longer hungry. Okay. Yeah, because it's so, like, interesting, like, <laughs> you know, it's hungry. It's, a lot, it of, it's a lot of work to get to do the falconry. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of reward, but it is, it's not like gun hunting where you can pull the gun out of a gun cabinet clean it up, put some bolts, and go hunting. It's a daily thing, and whether or not you're hunting the bird, it has to be weighed, it has to be fed, it has to be cared for and worked with. Right. So you, you'll literally weigh it before you take it out hunting. Yep. Yep. It's the easiest way for us to, uh, especially in the beginning, learning the bird, learning the system, because a weight's going to tell you if how hungry the bird is. 
Because if they're, we, and I like, I use grams. So like, for example, the my red tail hawk this past year, she flew, pre, her best weight was 1,250 grams. Okay. So I could get away with a little bit of like 10 or 15 grams above and below that. But too low, too much below that, I would have a bird that would be panting after a little while, not not be able to continue hunting. And if I had it too high, she really wouldn't always want to come back to me. Right. <clears throat> or she would go off on her own, looking for stuff on her own, and not really utilize me as a partner. Yeah, right. Because that's what I would want her. You know, like you know, I'm just gonna yeah. take this squirrel back up with a tree over here, and I'll talk <laughs> to you later. <laughs> well, they, that well, that's the thing. It's not really when they actually catch it. When they catch it, they're going to be sitting on the ground and they want to eat it. It's more they're going to go, well, I think there might be something way over here. You haven't done, you're not really, I don't need you right now. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what do you feed them? Um, mostly I feed them a lot of what they catch. So I'll keep most of the squirrels, a lot of the rabbit parts. Um. I also bought, use day-old chicks. I get them from a hatchery, and I'll use quail, which is all a good, another good source of food, especially in the beginning before my bird starts catching game. Now, are they alive when you feed them, or now? Yeah, okay. I I freeze everything for at least a few weeks before I feed it to my bird. Okay, so just in case there's any parasites or any issues, and then I check, look through it, make sure there's no like old lead pellets which i have found in the past in rabbits oh wow interesting because um, that's lead is extremely toxic to birds of prey so yeah sure yeah but yeah they most of the time they get what they i most of what they catch goes right back to them eventually yeah, i was wondering if you if you did any table fare for yourself with squirrels <laughs> too much with the squirrels just because it's so hard there's too much work for me in my <laughs> mind for to get the small amount of meat sure i'll take like the back straps and hind legs with the rabbits and eat them cool. um but yeah the squirrels they just go right back to the bird <laughs> yeah, so, so so you really you really don't raise your own food either though not really there are people who do raise quail or um other bird like game birds but at the end of the day, the amount of work that and money that goes into raising the bird, the food, you can buy it buy it from a like a quail breeder for much cheaper. Right, right. Or like the day old chicks, like I get them from a hatchery where they call all the male day old chicks anyway. Okay. Because they only want hens for the egg production. Right. So and. They, they think of it as a win because instead of paying to sh dump them at a landfill, they get to get paid to give them to falconers. <laughs> nice. So, so the season just ended. You, you got, what, 35 squirrels, you said? Uh, yeah, I think so. This was a little – this bird I and I had a little bit of issues throughout the season, so it was a little bit less than I usually do. Um, my average season for my past couple birds was like 50 – um, my best season was 96 head of game. Wow. Yep. Cool. But I was working really hard to get that number with that bird. Right. So you put a lot of time in the field on the weekends and stuff? Yeah, and I'll, I'll hunt before or after work, depending on my schedule. Okay. 
Um, I'll take, I'll take that half an hour of daylight before I go into work and I'll fly my birds then. So they're getting flown as much as I can. Cause I, I want my birds to get out in the field as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Now do you use the same bird that you use for work? No, um, my work birds are actually all, um, various breeds of falcons. Okay. And they're exclusively for work. They don't really... They're not flown in the quote-unquote traditional falconry style. Um, we really we don't truly want those birds to always be catching the seagulls. We want them more to fly around, scare the seagulls off, and then come back to us, and then we can fly them multiple times. Okay. So they don't. Some of them chase beautifully, but the vast majority of our birds are not always super keen on catching game okay so we those are strictly work birds and then i have my personal falconry birds nice it's funny i was just on before you called and uh, it i saw something on the new york hunt club uh a, a goose kill a seagull because <laughs> it came down for the nest and the thing drowned it I was oh like, wow i was like wow those things are nasty so how long, how, how long do they live um, so for most, I've seen some falconry birds live up until in their thirties. Oh, wow. Um, average is about, an average bird, bird of prey in captivity is I think about 25, 20 to 25. That's a, that's a good long life. <laughs> yeah. I honestly don't know how long my bird, my personal falconry birds lived because all of the ones, all of my ones I've trapped from the wild have been released back to the wild. Okay. So, and in the wild, if a bird lives past their first winter, past through their first year, they usually have a decent 15, 20, maybe more years that they'll survive in the wild. Wow. So what's, what's the hardest part of falconry? Um, probably when things go wrong. And we, I've had, I've unfortunately lost birds to like when I was flying, I've flown a number of kestrels and I've had a number of those kestrels get killed by other hawks. Um, or we've had, I've had birds like through work that have had injuries or illnesses that have, we've had to put them down. So working with have, putting so many hours into a bird and then to have it get killed or get hurt in it or hadn't, or sick so heartbreaking wow so yeah towards the end of my interview i like to ask people to tell a campfire story so like it's a you know hunting fishing or an outdoor adventure you maybe with the falcons or the hawks that you've had that you enjoy telling people like a memorable moment the one that always comes up in my mind is so we have there there's a national falconry organization and they have meets every year in different parts of the country and I've gone to two of them and I had a medium sized female red tail that I was flying for both of those meets. And I was like, I, the meets were in Nebraska and then in Texas. Wow. And one of my goals is like, I really love to catch a jackrabbit. I have caught cottontails. I've caught squirrels. I'm like caught jackrabbit would be so cool. Yeah. Um, Nebraska, we didn't really have any any chances at chasing them. So, but I was very pleased with her at that meet. I got a couple cottontails, 
which for a eastern bird that's used to thick woods going out out west and having barely any perching it's a bit of, bit of a shock for them as well right so the next year where we went to te- the meet was in lubbock texas and there's a very high jackrabbit population there so i was like i really want to try for a jackrabbit <laughs> going out hawking every day but i was also very keen on making sure it was a good experience for my bird right so i a lot of times at the falconry meets, you're gonna you try to push your bird past what you normally would do, like take multiple head a game when your bird's all used to only getting one, different things like that. And I was very focused that I wasn't going to do that to her because I still had the rest of the season to hunt with her and want her getting mad at me and getting upset with me and losing that trust I'd worked so hard to get. And so, at Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of the meet, it's a week long meet. Um, she caught cottontails fairly regular, like pretty good, pretty good hunts, beautiful chases on the cottontails, but I'm like, I really want a jack, <laughs> nice. but everybody, everybody at the meet was telling me you have to hunt your bird to get a jackrabbit. You have to hunt your bird off the fist, like from ride it. They have to ride the glove and chase off the glove, which my bird wanted nothing to do with it. And they were also telling me that my bird would be just taken for a ride because it was 900 gram red tail taking on a 3000 gram jackrabbit. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, whatever. Like my bird was getting really upset with me. So Friday I was at a field that had a lot of mesquite trees, which are about six foot tall, really stubbly little, not really trees. And she got, she baited out, took off from my glove, didn't want anything to sit, do with my glove, was sitting in a tree, and then she just took off, and she went down really low to the ground, and went just out of sight into the base of another mesquite tree, and just slammed into the ground, and I heard a half of a second of a rabbit scream. So it wasn't long enough to determine whether it was a jackrabbit or a cottontail, but when I got, so I was running up to her, and when I got up to her, I couldn't believe it. She was on the biggest jackrabbit I'd seen taken the entire week. Oh, nice. She had it by the head, so it was, it literally just curled up. It wasn't even fighting her at all. <laughs> like, she was like, no problem. You guys all telling me I have to do, take these jackrabbits this way. I'm going to take it my way, and I'm going to. Do it with a bang. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Very nice. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us tonight, and uh, I'd love to no come problem. check. I'd love to come up and check that out sometime and see yeah. see it in person. Yeah, I've, I try to make sure that my red tails are always willing to take and go out with other people because, like, when I'm looking for hunting spots, I like to allow to the landowner to come out with me and it's i have multiple apprentices that i'm working with so i want them to experience my bird as well as seeing their birds fly so i'm always happy to have people join me in the field nice cool um yeah because it's funny uh i mean i don't know if you travel to get get spots (laughs) but uh i've got some property you can go on (laughs) all right well we'll have to talk about that next season then (laughs) absolutely so I appreciate you taking the time. It's much appreciated. Uh, thank no you so much. Yep. All right. All right. Take care. 
Well, thanks so much for Alicia coming on the show today. That was very informative. Uh, like I said, man, I'm fascinated by that stuff. Um, so hopefully next year, you know, we'll check out her stuff again, and hopefully I'll get up there and actually see this live, get some video footage and put it on my YouTube channel. But uh, one thing, you know, I was impressed about is the 35 squirrels. I wonder on average what a guy with a gun gets, uh, how many he gets. But uh, 35, and, you know, from what she had said, that's, you know, she would rather get more. <laughs> but that was pretty awesome. Um, let's move into some conservation news. So you probably all have heard about a cat burglar. What about a turkey burglar? March 23rd, Erie County, New York, woman heard a bang and some crashing coming from her upstairs bedroom. So she goes upstairs to discover a turkey had busted through a glass window. <laughs> so the woman was able to confine the bird in an upstairs bathroom. But obviously, turkey flew around the bathroom, crashed into mirrors and walls, leaving broken glass everywhere. Thankfully, two conservation officers from New York DEC used a neighbor's fishing net to pin down the turkey and then grabbed the bird and brought it outside before it could cause further damage. The ECOs then set the bird free and helped the woman clean up the glass. <laughs> Pretty good. Well, that's all I got for today, folks. Thanks for stopping in. It's much appreciated. I am going to try to touch on some of the new fishing rigs coming up here. I've looked at them briefly myself because I do want to go out. And I know there's a lot of different stuff going on as far as uh, different streams being designated wild. And, you know, so it's catch and release only after a certain point. I guess we'll be able to fish them through the year, I think. I'm not too sure. I doubt, like I said, I want to look into it more. Um, but until next time, thanks for joining me. Hit subscribe, like, spread it out to your friends. All right, peace out. This episode of Appalachian Timber Ghost Outdoor Adventures Podcast is brought to you by Wild Kingdom Soap. Find us on Facebook and Instagram.